And so for some folks, um, it's, uh, it's actually really hard to come in and it's like, it's like, it's like loud and the band is doing this, 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 or this. And they, they, the weeks that it's really mellow and quiet and there's more spoken liturgy uh, are the weeks that they tend to just find themselves swelling up with thanksgiving and worship for God. And then there are other folks where it's like the faster and louder and more exuberant and celebratory um, it is in here, the better. Uh, and then other folks uh, are like, dear gosh, it's impossible to get a good mix in here. And the band always seems like they sound great, but we sit in the balcony and it's just a cathedral like this wasn't built for that. Uh, and you're like critiquing things because you're like a musician. Um, some of you are, are more um, from the mystical tradition. You just would rather like sit and be quiet and open your hands for 25 minutes. And others of you want to open your hands, but you also want to like fist pump the sky as you open your hand. Um, <laughs> I say all of that in that we, um, when Brent or Jen or Jason or whoever else will open our time together and we'll say things like, if you'd like to stand with us, please feel free. Um, there is a bit of a prompt there, right? Like there's something good about physically getting up in the same way there's something good about physically kneeling in the same way there's something really good about posturing yourself in different ways. There's a physical reality to it. But we want this to be a place where you can engage um, in ways that are, are helpful for you. Um, so I know for me, as somebody who kind of equal parts, sometimes likes to raise my hands and jump, um, and then others um, like to, to be really, really still and quiet. I know I find myself like standing up and jumping and at the same time, like sitting down in the middle of the loudest song, sort of like the couple that's slow dancing during like, you know, the really like the Ace of Bass song. Just wanted to date myself with Ace of Bass. Um, and I, I just want folks to just... To be able, our hope and our prayer for, as a worship team is that folks would be able to um, feel free, even though I know it's really bright in here and the pews are really rigid, um, to be able to um, be able to feel the freedom to stand, to sit, to raise hands, to journal, to allow the, the, the psalms and words that are being sung to wash over you. Um, and there will be weeks where you're like, yeah, I love the music at Sanctuary. And other weeks you're like, I hate the music at Sanctuary. And that's also because w there are many different streams. And we forsake preferences for the sake of being a community, hopefully that um, has some diversity to it in its worship. Um, does that make sense? Can I get an amen on that? We really are striving for that. We don't always hit that, but that's what we're aiming at, so you know that. And while we're on the subject of music, I want to give a really special announcement today. I am so excited about this. So uh, the, the, some of the members of the worship band have come together, uh, and they've been working on music. And one of the songs that was written was the first song that we played today. It was the, the For Your Love Is Higher, that song. And we put that, that's actually a Sanctuary original, if you didn't know that. Um, and so we are going to, um, we've recorded it, we, we teamed up with like a really phenomenal producer, and we put the thing together, and it sounds amazing. It's like so, some of you have heard it, it sounds so good, like stupid good. Um, <laughs> and so we're going to put it out on Easter Sunday. Uh, we we're so excited about that. So it'll be on like Spotify and Apple Music and you can buy it and all that kind of stuff. Um, you can download it from Pirate Bay like you did the Kanye record, you know, whatever. Um, and so we're just really excited about that. So we'll start to like give out information and, and uh, about what's, you know, kind of some background. There'll be like a blog post about why the song is written the way that it is and just some different information about it as we're looking toward um, 
making more music. There's something powerful, right, when the psalmist says, like, I will sing a new song unto the Lord. All right, we sing old songs because they're helpful to root us in our past, but there's also a new song that God is putting in our hearts here at Sanctuary. And so we want to, to write songs and liturgy that are capturing what God is doing now in our community in this new chapter of, of Acts being written here in Providence. Um, so we want to write more and more music. So any way that you can support that and buy that and get the word out about that single, that's actually helpful um, for us to be able to move forward in making more music. So, um, so we're really excited. That's all I got. Easter Sunday, we're going to put that out. And then second reminder about Easter Sunday is um, we are gonna be not, we're not going to be here. We're going to be at the Columbus Theater. Anyone know where the Columbus Theater is? Broadway. The West Side. Anyone not know where the Columbus Theater in Providence, Rhode Island is? Raise your hand if you do not know where the Columbus Theater is. Okay. All right. Um, is the address on the screen? It's probably not on the screen. We're going to have a ton of cards for you next Sunday for you to take home. I believe it's in your bulletin, on the back of your bulletin. It also, uh, we'll have some cards for you to pass out and invite friends. This is a theater that, uh, you know, recently hosted Iron and Wine and a lot of like big folk bands. It's been become a central part of really the Providence music scene as their studio going in there. It's amazing. So it's one of those spaces that if some folks that you would want to invite into church, Easter's a day already, they come and you feel like well, walking into a cathedral or church building um, can be a little bit uncomfortable sometimes for folks. We're really hoping uh, that this can be a space that is, uh, we, we have a lot of folks that wouldn't normally walk into church walking into the Columbus Theater. So just a reminder, and it will be at our normal time, 10 o'clock at the Columbus. And I want to put this out here now, uh, even though it's a few weeks away, is um, for those of you who are a part of our community and committed to the community and love serving our community, consider when it comes to parking at the Columbus, we just want to put that out there now, park like a ways away. Like, don't take all the obvious spots um, so we can just be hospitable to new folks when they're coming in. But more information about that and how you can get the word out about that. Uh, and then lastly, related to that, Kara Jobeck is uh, hosting a little workshop at our city space, our office space. The information's in the bulletin. If you would like uh, to help her out with this flower-making, guerrilla art, Easter advertising thing, um, Kara, would you stand for a minute? There's Kara. In, in the red and black sweater, find her after. She actually needs to know that you're coming so she can order you lunch. Uh, you're going to be making, uh, especially if you're good at crafty things, you can read all that in the bulletin. Secondly, related to Kara, uh, Kara leads our creative collective, and Kara is going to be uh, hosting a gathering on Sabbath. So for those of you who are artists, entrepreneurs, creative types, uh, folks that are constantly building things and making things, um, rest is a really difficult subject for many of us. What does it mean to rest well, the Sabbath well? Uh, and so we're going to be talking about that and doing a roundtable, a lot of discussion, it'll be a sh really short talk, and then a lot of interaction and exploration of how you can move toward having uh, working from rest instead of working for it. Uh, and as of that, all the other information that you need to know is in the back of your bulletin. And with that, I want to welcome Renee up. Where's Renee at? He's hiding. Boom. Uh, Renee is, uh, is going to come. Renee is one of the core members of the Sanctuary North Church Plant team. And uh, he's going to be reading the scripture today to us. Would you stand for the reading of the word? Hey guys, oh, y'all look beautiful. Thanks. All right. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. 
Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you haven't gotten to know Renee yet, you should do that. Funny dude. I um, I was raised by a father who would do these strange things now and again. Uh, and it, it involved cleaning. Where it wasn't that he was a messy man or a dirty man. It was that he would kind of, he wasn't like regularly looking out for stains or clutter. It was that all of a sudden, he would go on like a a cleaning burst. So the house would be in some, the house didn't even need to be super messy. He just all of a sudden would, would just start to move a little bit quicker. And he'd be like starting to pick stuff up. And it was, we didn't realize it at first. Obviously, it took a little while for us as kids to notice it. And my mom obviously knew it right away. She was like, oh, oh, Lyle, Lyle's going at it. And it was just like the slow walk away. And all of a sudden, it was like focus, like laser. And he would just start to clean everything around him. So, I mean, just scrubbing, scrubbing, like and he'd run into the other room. And it actually produced like a lot of anxiety. Because you're like, okay, dad, uh, yeah, yeah, I got to I gotta go to, I'm going to soccer practice. Okay, I'll see you later. Um, and he would just move around the house, like constantly picking up. Anyone else ever seen this before? It's funny because, you know, the, the one, the thing you kind of critique or think is funny about your parents, right? Tale as old as time. What does that mean about who you're going to become? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden, I'm just like, I can't handle the clutter. I don't really say anything. And all of a sudden, like, everything is wrong with everybody. I'm like all of a sudden immediately kind of mad at my wife and I don't know why she didn't do anything wrong. She's like far better cleaner than I am and I'm scrubbing things and I'm getting upset about, anyone have the, um, I don't know what you call it, it's in the middle of the two burners on your stove, little ceramic thing that you um, put the, the like spoons on so it doesn't get on the stove. You know what I'm talking about? What is that? What Spoon rest? That can't be what it's called, really? A, a spoon rest? That's it? I gotta come up, come on. We gotta come up with a new name for that. Splagnon. I like that. Spl- whatever. So all of a sudden I get to that and I'm like, oh, it's so grimy. And I'll go to like clean it up really quick. And I'm like, God, Corey, you not like you never clean that up. And Corey's looking at me like. And so any of you who have kids or a messy roommate too, especially you know that like the work of cleaning is never done. Right? So we have a little, a little <laughs> it's like a little island we call it for Harper, my daughter. She's two years old, and she um, is actually pretty clean. She's got like a clean up song. Anyone know clean up, pick up all the way, clean up every day. Daniel Tiger. Shout out to Daniel Tiger. How many of you know Daniel Tiger? Yes. Gosh, it saved many a stressful moments. Praise God for DT. Um, <laughs> everyone else is like, What? You'll know it's coming for you. 
So we clean up. I'm cleaning up all this, all this stuff. And it's, I know that as soon as like we're done cleaning up all the thing, it's like you turn and you're like, oh, the house feels so clean. Oh, my gosh. You know, and I have one child. So I know some of you who have like four kids, you're like, you don't even know. You don't know what's happening. It's coming for you. Anyone of you have a messy roommate? Yeah, maybe you can't raise your hand because they're sitting next to you. Yes. Yes, I know some of you. You went like, whoa, whoa, not you. (laughs) You're good. And just like, it's like constant. You do the subtle cleanup because it's not your stuff. You can't clean up someone else's stuff. That's like passive-aggressive nightmare. So you start to put like the blankets up on the thing. And you're like, "Mm," moving the pillows a little bit. and just, Oh, is this yours? Oh, sorry, I'll leave it. Something going on over here. They're all like, yep, yep. <laughs> Some of you are wondering where this is going. <laughs> you clean it up and you clean it up and you clean it up and it just gets messy again. And it's, you just come to that all too con- like poignant and obvious conclusion that it just feels pointless. It just, it, it, it points or just useless. I think this is how some of us look at at church, at our spiritual life, um, at walking with Jesus, at being a part of a church, whatever it is for you. Some people use different language. It slots in different. But I think for a lot of us, it's like, I can't, I can't do that again. Like, I can't keep attempting to be holy. I can't keep attempting to be godly. Like, I've tried the thing, and I'm still struggling with that addiction or that thing or that issue. I'm a hypocritical mess. I've come back like seven times over. I thought that was going to be taken care of. It feels like everything in my life is two steps forward and four steps back. Some people are not here in church this morning because of this feeling. They're like not here in church because I can't show up to church. Are you kidding me? I've heard this from enlightened 21st century people who really don't even fully believe in God. Said things like, dude, if I walk into that church, man, God's gonna like strike that place down. Like, you don't even believe in God. And you're like, like it's somehow like, like in you. Like if I walk in there, man, it's gonna be leveled. Your pastor's just gonna know as soon as I walk in. Something about being a pastor, people feel really weird around me sometimes. They haven't come to church in a while or maybe like they've never been to church, but then all of a sudden the conversation shifts to, oh, what do you do? I'm a director of ministry serving the, I'm a pastor. You know, and like, and they're just like, oh, yeah, hmm. And like they were dropping F-bombs before, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like their language just cleaned up like right away. You know, on the one hand, I guess that's that's sort of nice, but there's this feeling of like, I can't. I can't keep trying at this. I, I can't keep doing this. I'm not gonna go back to that. It's kind of pointless. I get it in your youth. You're like fired up. And if everyone could be like Jesus, wouldn't that be great, right? Never heard anyone say, wherever they're at on the faith spectrum, say it's not good to be like Jesus. Or the world wouldn't be more peaceful, flourishing place to be if, if, if every person wasn't like Jesus. Like even that. And feel like I can't, that's, that's like this idealistic thing. I can't even begin to move toward that. Ever felt like giving up? I don't just mean like a job or a project. Like, have you ever felt just like giving up? Like just being done with this whole routine? Some of you maybe 
like with depression, it's just like I'm just, I'm literally, like winter brings this on for a lot of folks. Like I just feel like giving up. I just don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to try. It's like way before even like the, the really dark thoughts, way before the like, the, the stuff that you don't want to really talk about. It, it, it's, it's the place of just darkness. Of like, I, I, I'm just going to numb myself. I can't, I can't keep doing it. I think we need to talk this morning about when you feel too far gone. You feel like a hypocrite. If people only knew what you did last night. People only knew how fake you were. You need to get out of here. And if you haven't experienced that, you will. 35, I heard a pastor say once, 35% of the time, and I was like, my number might be higher. 35% of the time, I feel like very disqualified to even be standing up here. Like, I just, I feel like, really? If you, my, my, uh, my, my dad is a pastor, and he and my mom used to, like, decide we're not going to have serious conversations on Saturday night. I, I thought part of that was just really good, right? Because if you've ever, um, if any of you have, like, ministry, vocational ministry in your, in your family, you know that's like a time where, for whatever reason, for a lot of reasons, like, fights break out. It's like the night before, and there's stress, and there's all sorts of stuff. I mean, like, this makes sense. And I realize that for Corey and I, it's... It's part of that, but actually it's like, I don't want to have hanging over my head how wretched a person is, how I treated you in that fight, how angry I got, how I said that thing when I come in Sunday morning. <laughs> like most of the time, <laughs> I mean most of the time, but a good chunk of the time I get up here and I'm like, I, I feel like a fraud. I'm tired and exhausted at my own shortcomings. I'm tired and exhausted of my own inconsistencies. I ever feel like I'm just done trying so hard. I'm just done trying so hard. So I want to ask you today, and this is where this text comes in, the series we've been in in First John. It's like, why will you get up next time? When you're on the ground, and you're feeling like, I can't keep going. I don't want to do this anymore. Or, or if you have the personality, and I read this text to my wife who, again, if you know the Enneagram, she's like a one, which just means she needs to be, like, her, her kind of core thing is like she needs to be perfect. Anyone you struggle with that? Like, you, you condemn yourself constantly. Like, everything gets run, everything you do gets run through the filter of could I do this better? Could I have reacted in that way? In other words, could I have been more perfect? That's never the phrase that actually goes through your head usually, it's, but it's driving this sense of like constantly your heart is condemning you. You constantly feel like you're beating yourself up. These are the messages and things that are being told to you all the time. Your heart is condemning you. And there's the flip side of this, which is sort of a numbing arrogance. I don't do anything wrong. And that once you kind of like the armor gets like cracked a little bit, you quickly like dive into a much deeper place of self-condemnation. John says, whenever your heart condemns you, whenever your heart condemns you, when your heart condemns you and you are on the ground, 
why will you get up again? Why are you going to clean it all up again and trust God and believe God and do the right thing? Why will you get back up again? John, at this point in the text, if you've been following along in 1 John, this book that was written to this church, an old John, this man who walked with Jesus, he said he was Jesus' favorite. He was self-appointed Jesus' favorite. He's been instructing them as the church, this community that he's writing to, seems like it's going through some kind of split. We'll read later that there are all these different teachers that are coming in and trying to like jack them up and help them. No, no, this is really what's true. No, this is really what's true about Jesus. This is how you can see that. And John's writing to this church because they're like about to divide and get broken up. And then it seems like the reason why this passage comes in is because they need an assurance of like who they are. If you've been following along in this text or you've been here the last couple Sundays, right? Over and over, John keeps looping back with whatever new theme he has. He keeps looping back to your child of God. This is who you are. You can actually know where you stand with God. You can actually know where you stand with God. You can actually know. Every week we do confession, right? Just be honest about what's broken in your own heart and assurance to be reminded that God meets you right where you're at. We can have an assurance. You can have an assurance. And so in this place in 1 John chapter 3, you just get through John saying all of these things about if you really, if you really are walking with God, you'll be loving your brother. If you're really walking with God, you will be loving your brother and sister. You'll be faithful in your community. If you really love God, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. He's been talking like this for a while now in the letter. And so what came up in, uh, in home group on Tuesday, we were studying part of this text. And the question that came up was, like, well, how, I mean, one person was saying, honestly, I read this and I go, do I, am I really a Christian? I've not been loving lately. I've not been giving my position. Somebody in our home group, it was so astute. Just like, I, I read this, honestly, and this doesn't like make me feel comforted. It doesn't fill me with a drive to love my brothers and sisters. Yeah, so God so God laid his life down for me, and I'm supposed to do that for others? I think sometimes as Christians, we're not really honest about what we're reading. Like, what? I, he did that for the universe, and I'm supposed to, like, do that for others? Like, I, that sounds really nice. I don't, I'm not going to argue with that, like, intellectually, that sounds sweet. Right? I realized I say this phrase, most times we come to the communion table. I say what? Just as Christ broke himself open and poured himself out, may we, as the body of Christ, break ourselves open and pour ourselves out for the healing of the world. I say that as someone who's hardwired for like, go, let's love the world, break ourselves open. We have no fear in death. And a lot of you, like, are, 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 you, you trust, most of us all trust those things as Christians, but some of us, it's easier for us, for us to live into that. And for others of us, it's really difficult. And actually, maybe for some of you, every time you hear that phrase, you actually are filled with a bit of anxiety. Like, if you knew 
who I was, you would not be inviting me to that task. If you knew what I was like, if you knew how jacked up I, I was, if you knew how fallen I am right now, you would not be saying those things. Or you're like, that sounds like a really good idea, but I definitely cannot do that. Most scholars point out there is sort of an anxiety in the text that John is addressing of, okay, John, we're not loving each other well. The church is about to split. I don't know which voice to trust. There are all these antichrists. So it comes up in the next section, right? Antichrist in, in this text is not like pointing to some doomsday character with horns. These are people speaking against the way of Jesus. They are different teachers that are denying the, the incarnation of God. He's like, all these different teachers and all these different ideas and all these different thoughts are coming up. There's, a, there's an anxiety here. Can we know where we stand? And he goes, look, you can know where you stand if you love your brother and sister. If you love well, if you're giving to each other, this is how you know that the love of Christ is in you is that you are loving each other. And he goes, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. So this sounds nice. I would really like to set my heart at rest in his presence. Because there's a lot of different ideas and a lot of different things out there and a lot of different teachings and a lot of different ways to understand X, Y, or Z. But if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So I want to park it on that text because what we hear John saying here is, is when our hearts condemn us, and they surely will, one translation, whenever your heart condemns you, Whenever you feel like I can't know where I stand with God, I can't know what it really means to be connected with God. When I feel like I have fallen and haven't loved my neighbor and haven't loved my brother, you need to know that God is greater than your heart. God is greater than your heart. So let's define heart for a moment. Your heart would be the nearest, dearest voice in your being. It will tell you stuff. It will tell you stuff. No scripture says God is greater than your hands. No scripture says God is greater than your hands. God is greater than your career. I think in some way we kind of implicitly know like God is not better than the things I put my hands to. I know that God can do anything. But our hearts, I think it's a little different because the heart feels like, if you're like me, it feels like the most powerful voice in the entire universe. My heart feels like the loudest voice in the known universe. I don't know how to get around like this powerful voice. There's nothing greater in me. It controls me. It is my, different writers have said throughout time, it's our soul. It's our center, right? It's our being. Let's do this for today for the sake of monologue. <laughs> heart is your mind, your will, and your emotions. This is a fairly like, simple and classic definition of your heart is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your mind. What you think. The most powerful thoughts. God is greater than your most powerful thoughts and what you think. When I think of my heart, so often it's actually manifest in like the voice that's up here. Two, your will this is the seat of your decisions, right? This is where you make your decisions. How many of you need to hear or, or, or resonate with, there is no way that I am a true follower of Jesus based on my decisions? This is what came up in our home group. There's no way. If I look at this rubric, honestly, John, either seems harsh, so I'm gonna write this all off, 
Or, or I am not really a follower. Can I really know? Can I ch- And I love the question because it's actually trying to take seriously the way of Jesus instead of sort of just adopting vaguely an ideology that says, I'm loved and it doesn't really matter what I do and cool and I like coming and being reminded that I can like do whatever I want all week and then come back and just be forgiven. There's this tension here. Your decisions define your destiny, right? Your decisions define who you are. And you have God saying, look, I'm greater than your heart, greater than your mind and your will and your emotions. This is the one I, I have a lot more notes for. It's 2016, baby. There is nothing more real than how you feel. Anybody? Oh, anything, anything that would get in the way. If you are not feeling authentic right now and someone's telling you to do something that doesn't line up with how you feel, that is the greatest cause of saying, I'm rejecting that. Like there is no way that that is true. And it is, it is prevalent and I don't have time to do like some cultural ana- analysis uh, to reinforce this. In fact, I think I've done that in certain degrees at times. This is our highest truth. Who's God? Like, my feelings are God. If I don't feel it, if I don't keep it real, like, then it's not true. That's why uh, the, the phrase, sometimes you need to act your way into new ways of thinking. It's like a classic piece of wisdom. It's like been said in some iteration a hundred times throughout history. Sometimes you need to act your way into new ways of thinking. I think, I think our generation, our moment in time, it feels like, oh, Gosh, that is the worst advice you could possibly give me. Sometimes you need to say, cool, that's how you're feeling, and how you're feeling might be wrong. How many of you, when I said how you're feeling might be wrong, you all just wanted to throw something at me? Like internally, you twisted a little. You're like, probably you're right. Get to the point where you say that you didn't really mean that. We base everything on this so much. This is our God. To question your feelings. Like feelings, oh, this is my fear. Feelings that are repeated over and over and over and over and over. That must mean that that's who I am. And in fact, to question them is to be inconsistent and disingenuous. And the problem with me, just personally, if my feelings become God, like I I will be the, like I am following the most fickle God in all of history. Like anyone, anyone? Anyone, if, if, if your heart is like, this, this really is like the seat of your emotions, my mind, my will, my emotions, like my center of being. This is what my heart to be true. If following God means following my heart, and my heart is wrapped up in how I'm feeling and my emotions at the moment, my God is so fickle. I am emotional, borderline emotionally unstable. Like, you know, there's like functional alcoholics. Like I'm functionally emotionally unstable. I'm pretty convinced. I, I think to think my wife finds it kind of attractive. She likes that I'm a, I'm a feeler, right? So passionate. Passionate in my, in my early 20s was a word that was used um, to describe me uh, as like, oh, that's, he's just got so much potential. So passionate. Anyone been described as passionate by an older person? And you're like, I don't know if you mean that in a positive way. Anyone? Yeah, yeah. So then when you're like at mid-20s and you hear like, you know what, Andrew's just so passionate. You're like, ooh. Maybe not. And then you get to 30 and someone's like, you know, what's Andrew's best quality? He's just really passionate. You're like, I failed. God is greater than how you feel. 
we live in this funny culture where like the advice that we get is follow your heart. It's gotta be the worst advice in history. Follow your heart. The intention is beautiful, but man, like that is the worst blueprint for existence. If you would, I would love for you to challenge me on that. Please come up forward for prayer after the service. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm being silly, but not. Like the worst blueprint. Follow, just follow your heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is wicked. It lies all the time. Who even knows the human heart? Richard Rohr says we are enigmas unto ourselves. We are mysteries unto ourselves. Like we don't even get what's going on. Follow your heart. Like what does that mean? I'll try to do what I feel like in the moment, what my mind seems to be like triggering right now, the decision that makes the most sense at the moment. God is greater than your impulses. John is saying God is greater than your stupid decisions. John is saying God is greater than your fickleness. God's thoughts about me are more powerful than my thoughts about myself. God's thoughts about me are more powerful. These people sitting in this church, they're hearing all these different teachers. There's all of this static. And then the John is writing to them going, like, if you really know that you're walking with Jesus, you will be responding to the love of God, that the God of the universe has forgiven you and set you free. And how could you not live in response to that? This is why Christians are really actually, part of our faith really makes a lot of sense to anybody. If we believe that at the center of everything is a, the, a God of love, if we believe that Jesus is worth following and, and we believe this is what Jesus has done for us, then, then we should naturally respond in this way and we should follow him into this self-sacrificial life knowing full well, right, what? That we have an assurance that we are his. And John writing these people is saying, look, when your heart condemns you, when you're not loving your brother great, when you're not doing really well right here, when you have fallen and you cannot, you do not feel like you can get back up. When that happens, whenever your heart condemns you, whenever your heart condemns you, he is greater than your will and your mind and your emotions. He's greater than it. It says later on in 1 John 4, greater is he that's in the world. Greater is he than the world. Greater is he. This is in part why I think we should read our Bibles more. Didn't see that one coming. Why we should read the scriptures more. You need to read God's thoughts about you. How does God feel about you? What is God inviting you into? If you can get those thoughts on your messed up, fractured thoughts, you will be renewed. If you can get his thoughts on yours, you will begin to be transformed. Because your thoughts tell you things that aren't actually true about who you are. Calm my ridiculous, fractured thoughts. Calm my ridiculous and fractured heart. If I will trust and accept what Jesus has done, it's in accepting and receiving him. It kind of just like trumps everything. God is greater than your heart. To me, for me, this is why I'm gonna get up again. This is why 
I'm going to get back up again. When I'm down and my heart wants me to stay down, he knows you better than you know yourself and you can have an assurance. This is why for me, I'm going to get back up again because of what he has done for me. Because when I read this, this is what it is to rest to set our hearts at rest in his presence. If your hearts condemn you. In the message, Eugene Peterson hits on an interesting nuance that's happening in the text. And he just says this. He goes, even when, like it should. And I like that. Because, right, we see that in here. Like, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, then we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Like the assumption here is that there will be moments where we are critiqued. Like where we are, oh, we're doing something wrong. Like even when the, the, the sense of, 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 our, of feeling out of line, which is really the reason John's writing is, let me give you some litmus tests for how you know you're really walking with Jesus. And so Eugene Peterson says, um, even, even when it's kind of right, like even when we know we've messed up, the, the, the thought here isn't like pretend you didn't do anything wrong or pretend you're not walking the way of life. Don't just pretend you're not walking the way of love. He says, even when it's legit, Know that God is greater than that. Know that God is greater than that. So I want to take you to an interesting passage that, that someone pointed out to me recently. Proverbs 24, 16. Though a righteous man falls seven times, though a righteous man falls seven times, he will rise again. Seven. Anyone know what seven really stands for essentially in scriptures? What is it? Completion. The number seven in scripture comes up all the time. It is the number of completion. Though a righteous man falls seven times, the writer's not just picking an arbitrary number. When a righteous man, that's like a just person, a person who is loving well, who is holy and set apart, who is killing it. They are like, like aligned with the things of God. They are living the life of the ages. They are following, in this context, following Torah. In that moment, when a righteous man falls seven times, like this is, again, a Hebrew way of like falls completely. When a righteous man falls completely, he will rise again. Someone is righteous, they will rise again. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, it speaks of we have become the righteousness of God because of what Jesus has done. Are all these different pictures we have in the New Testament and the scriptures of when Jesus died on the cross, what did it mean for us? And the picture I want to highlight today is this. When Jesus died, when God sacrificed himself for us on the cross, in that moment, we became the righteousness of God. Like Jesus took our place with everything that we deserved. He, he imputed, he gave us, he stamped us. Is this, when God sees us, he sees Jesus. He became sin, it says, so that we could become children of God. We draw near as friends of God. We are righteous in other words, we are in right standing with God, not based on our resume, but God's. We are right before God. We can have assurance of his love. We can be called children of God. 
We can rest in his presence. We can fall. And even when our hearts condemn us, God is righteous and he has given us that righteousness. We have become children of God. It's based on his resume, not ours. The way he feels about us, what he has done. I have two legs to stand on because of what Jesus has done. And it's a matter of saying, accept it. And what's great about the context, right? Because at this point, I I think um, this is the come to the communion moment now. Hey, if you're here and you're feeling shame or doubt or self-condemnation. When I asked Corey, again, my wife, about this passage, she goes, this is like my life. Like every moment of my life is like my heart condemning me to some like degree. It sounds extreme, but like she just kind of took a moment. And as I unpack what like the writer's saying, she's like, oh, yeah, it's like, it's like all the time. The voice, it's constant. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You're not fast enough. You could have done that better. You could have done that better. You don't really, you shouldn't really come to church that he shouldn't really be up front right now. When your heart condemns you, right, this is the moment where I go, if you're feeling any of those ways, come to the table, take the bread, dip it in the cup, be reminded that you are loved. And we'll get there in a minute. But John's writing to a church. And this is smack in the middle of a context about how we are to relate to one another. This is how you know. Look, when your heart condemns you, know that he's greater than your heart. But that's actually not the, the focal point. He's talking about, you, you guys can't divide like this. There's going to be all these teachers that are going to try to pull you apart. And to truly know the love of God means you're going to sacrifice and forsake preferences and be there for each other. See, for this section, for this passage, the thing that pops out to me is this. It's not just will you rise again when you've fallen. It's not just will you get back up. We need to gather around people and say, don't give up who have fallen down around us. When you have messed it up or when someone else has been the voice of condemnation, right? We as Christians, sometimes when people fall, we tend to gather around them we, and then we just stare at them. Oh man, there it is. There's a sin at work. Like, oh, like yeah, you need to just stay down for a little while. Yeah, well, you can't come back into ministry yet. You need to wait. <laughs> Not yet. I've had people tell me, wait, I can't believe that person's up there doing that. Already. Are we a church that doesn't just keep this reality in mind for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters who are sitting next to us? If you're here and you're not a part of sanctuary, like we welcome you. And this is like a little family moment. We just, just I want to talk to you though. Just so you know, this is the kind of community we want to be. I'm like pushing the dagger in a little bit here because this is what we want to be. We want to be a community that is personally realizing, look, even though my heart condemns me, God, thank you that you are greater than my heart. I am loved and set free and I don't need that condemnation. And I'm a child of God and God will put me back on a path of righteousness. Amen. But also for you sitting next to me, and I have a harder time with your sin than, I, than mine. Amen. <laughs> I'm, I'm much more comfortable with my own brokenness than yours because <laughs> I would never do that. <laughs> or when I do it, it's different. It's just the brokenness of my story. When you do it, you're a sinner in the hands of an angry God. Different sermon. John 10, 29, same writer says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch them out of my hand. We have an assurance. We have a confidence. We have a confidence before God. We can trust God. 
And so finally in this passage, if we are a community that's realizing our hearts can't condemn us because God's greater than him, if we're realizing that truth about each other and we're not just picking ourselves up because of what Christ has done, we are picking each other up by his strength. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commandments. We have a confidence before God. At the beginning of this section, we read that you are a child of God and that is what you are. He's already said that part to them. It's who you are. Have confidence in this. You are loved by the God of the universe. He says, if you repent and believe, if you repent and acknowledge who I am, you can trust this reality about who you are. Why does he say something about you can, like whatever you ask, you'll, you'll receive? A kid will ask his parent over and 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 over. I have a two and a half year old. Over and over for things. Without any like pause about worry of condemnation if there is trust and confidence. My wife and I are going through the uh, foster adoption process right now. In the midst of this, we're hearing stories. We're hearing amazing stories about parents who have fostered kids and they go, my, my biological kids have a real hard time with how I relate to my foster kids. And so as they start to explain, they say, well, for the foster child, there's no confidence in, in that relationship. There's no trust, understandably. And so the we've got to get out the door really quick turns into, hey, 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 I, you know, I, I know, I know this is really hard, but we, we actually need to, I need you to put your jacket on and we need to go. Biological kid running around in the background. jacket on and so uh, two parents told like almost the same story and they're describing this in that yeah this one has confidence they ask and ask and ask all the time and they're questioning running around I can raise my voice to them I I can't raise my voice here because there's no confidence one scholar says this about this section precisely the relationship of children to their parents that relationship of implicit trust of confidence and willingness to ask again and again characterizes the stance of the believer before God. That characterizes the stance of someone who's walking with God. Here are strong words of assurance to believers who doubt the status of their own relationship with God. There is an unsettling lack of confidence. An unsettling lack of confidence for the kid who's like, Mom, 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 Mom. Like, Dad, can you, can we, can we, can we, can we, can we, can we? There's a confidence when you have parents that you trust, that you love, that even this, what seems like a really random thing in this section about, and by the way, whatever you ask for, you'll receive, and moving on. That's how I read that in the text. Like, what, I, okay. This all relays back to you can have an assurance. You can have confidence. The scholar is saying, you can, this is like an unsettling confidence that you can go before God, this is who you are. God's greater than your screw-ups. He's greater than the moments that you're on the floor. He's greater than those places of hypocrisy that you have in your heart. 
I was telling the, the team this morning that really this sermon in so, much, in so many ways is for folks that aren't here today. So spread the word. And for folks that are at home going, I can't walk into that building. I can't come to church today. As if, as if your one night at Foxwoods could somehow screw up God's relationship with you. As if one night of sleeping with so-and-so could jack the whole thing up. As if one moment of hate for somebody else could just blow the thing out of the water. You're not that big a deal. You're not. I take great piece of that. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. Jesus is talking here. No one can snatch them out of the Father's hands. Look, I can give you guys permission to stay down if he gives up on you. But I see nothing in Scripture that says that God is going to give up on you. I'll be happy to give you permission to stay down at that point and to walk away. Let's pray together. says in scripture whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life the life of the ages even in this section and this is his command to believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ To believe in the name of someone is to like trust their integrity, to trust the words that they say, the fully embodiment of who they are. God, there are folks in here um, who, who have said, I trust in you. I receive the gift of grace. I accept that what you've done for me and yet I feel like I just don't let it transform me. Right? They love the, the passage. Paul is like, I don't do what I want to do, and what I want to do, I don't do. And like that's like a reality. It feels constant. And their heart just condemns them because they they look at every way they're not worthy or good or true or beautiful. May they know this morning, may they, as you say, be at peace and at rest in your presence. May they know that you are greater than their heart. In this season of Lent, where so many of us are, are, are inviting you to shine a light and expose the dark places in our hearts, if we're not just careful and rooted in your love, it can turn into like condemnation fest. <laughs> it can like turn into like, I'm the worst person ever. May we in that moment Know that, yes, all have fallen short of the glory of God, and yes, you are that good to redeem us. You know everything, it says in this section. You know everything. Even when your heart's condemned, you're like, God, he knows everything. Get up. Get up. Even when the most righteous among us fall, completely fall, he'll get up again. That righteousness It's not our resume, God. It's your resume. You have done. You 
It is because of your righteousness. You became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you. I do pray for those today who just want to receive this gift, like whoever believes in him. If you want to this morning, I just, with our eyes closed and head bowed, like if you want to receive this, this gift, if you want to express your faith, you can do that. And I just I ask you in a minute, just like raise your hand for a quick second, just to like physically acknowledge it, externally acknowledge what's happening internally. And you can just put it right back down. If you're here and there's something happening in your own heart, something that God's just like, yeah, like you're like, yes, I would like that. I would like to be grounded and rooted in this identity. I want to trust that this is what God says about who I am. Trust what God has done for me. I trust this. There's something moving in my heart. I don't even quite get it all, but yes, this must be true about who I am. Just says, believe, believe that, that Jesus is Lord. This is what he's done. Would you throw your hand up for a minute and just say yes in this moment? Thank you. For what you're doing in our community. May we be a church like where anyone can make a comeback. We be a church, Rick. We are getting up because of your strength and we are helping each other up because of your strength. We are a church that when people fall, it's not only that our hearts are not condemning us, Lord, but we are not condemning each other. In your name, everybody said.